Chapter four, what is forgiveness? God created us for togetherness. We are social beings. God's idea of a good creation calls for us, his creatures, to live in love relationships with God and each other, especially those bonds of marriage. Simply put, we are created to love God with all our heart, soul, and might. Then we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Then we are to love our wives, our husbands, above no other. That is God's design for us. Something, however, has gone in terribly wrong. The universal story of mankind, humankind, finds tragic expression in the saga of the first family. Enjoying the option of living in an intimate relationship with God in the Garden of Eden or breaking from the path of peace to travel their own road to rebellion. Anytime we rebel, we run the risk of losing our peace. Adam and Eve chose poorly. They lost their peace. Rather than saying yes to God, they bellowed no, choosing separateness over oneness with the creator. They lost Eden. Why would anyone choose the land of Nod, wandering over the garden of God? Why would anyone prefer the wilderness of estrangement over a life of intimacy? Why would anyone race madly down the road toward death rather than walk serenely down the path of life? We need not ask Adam and Eve. We only need to ask ourselves. We have all chosen foolishly. Adam's means humankind. Eve means the mother of all living ones. The story of Adam and Eve is representative of every living human being stumbling blindly in the wilderness, longing to return to Eden. The story of Adam and Eve is our story, but there is more. Estrangement from God in the first family soon gave birth to the brotherly strife, alienation, and death. The history of the children of Adam and Eve provides the sequel, the next gruesome portrait of ourselves. Jealous of his brother Cain, who means spear, slays Abel, whose name means breath or wind, which symbolizes the fleeting nature of life. Alas, alienation turns friends into aliens. Alienation and estrangement create strangers between husband and wife. Animity begets enemies. Then what? In just the first four chapters of the Bible, we have already seen ourselves portrayed all too clearly. In short, we're doers of wrong. Rebels, we are selfish. We are, to use the biblical term, sinners. Moreover, wrongdoing always costs us dearly, whether we are the victim or the villains. Danger lurks wherever we find animosity, resentment, and estrangement. Might forgiveness save us all from this danger? First, we need to define forgiveness. Exactly what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is the removal of personal barriers within a relationship caused by wrongdoing, whether it was real or imagined. Forgiveness heals the wounds of separation and allows interpersonal healing to begin. Forgiveness is the medicine for the soul. It is the miracle drug for a fatal disease. Jimmy Lee Gray is now dead. Some say he should have been dead a long time ago. Others say he still should be alive. Still others say he never should have been born, but he's dead now. So are his victims. 
In a fit of rage while on a date with his teenage sweetheart, Jimmy Lee Gray seized his girlfriend by the throat and violently began to shake and strangle her until her lifeless corpse slumped quietly onto the car seat. Seven years later, free on patrol from a prison in Arizona, he made his way to Mississippi where he struck again. In Pascagoula, Mississippi, he abducted an innocent three-year-old girl, carried her into a wooded area, performed various perverted and torturous acts upon her person. Then seized by guilt and demonic forces, he held her precious little head under a muddy puddle of water until her helpless last kick fell silently against the water. Jimmy Lee Gray dragged her limp little body to a bridge and threw it into a dark, watery grave. Dare we ask the parents of those two innocent victims to forgive Jimmy Lee Gray? How could they possibly forgive him for his barbaric crimes? For the matter, how do we forgive someone who wrongs us, whether gravely or slightly? Besides, we should forgive, shouldn't we, anyway? But suppose we somehow decide we want to forgive. How exactly do we forgive? How do we do it? Precisely, what is forgiveness? The biblical word most frequently used to speak of forgiveness means to lift up, to bear, to dismiss or send away. These definitions imply that something needs to be removed for forgiveness to occur. With forgiveness, sins are sent away and individuals are drawn closer together. Forgiveness rids relationships of bitter personal barriers. God removes barriers that Gray's crimes had erected between himself and Jimmy Lee Gray. While awaiting execution on death row in Parchment State Penitentiary in Mississippi Delta, Gray met Tommy Ellison. A volunteer chaplain, the two became friends. As Ellis shared Jimmy Lee's last meal with him minutes before Gray walked to the electric chair, they prayed together. Jimmy Lee asked God to forgive him. Confessing his sins, he accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. Jimmy Lee Gray died forgiven by God. If God can pardon the sins of this magnitude and drastically smaller ones as well, surely you and I should be able to forgive each other when we snub each other, gossip about each other, or come to terms with each other. Our course, not all wrongs are trivial. Regardless of the magnitude of the wrong, forgiveness is never easy. When we stop and think about it, forgiveness is really a process and consists of four stages. The first one is hurt. The first stage of forgiveness may seem obvious, but it's important to recognize. We can only forgive when we have been hurt. Unless someone has harmed us in some fashion, we do not suffer a crisis where we need forgiveness. God has one son who was without sin, but none of God's children escape suffering. Sooner or later, we will all hurt. Authors and researchers, including Lewis Smeads, Everett Worthington Jr., Robert Karen, Sharon Lamb, and others, have written extensively about forgiveness. All agree that without hurt, forgiveness is impossible. Moreover, there are several characteristics of the kind of hurt that begs forgiveness. In order to create a crisis of forgiveness, hurt must be personal. We are all injured within the context of relationships. Persons wound us. 
Although nature, the economy, corporations, schools, and other organizations may inflict pain or grief, for the most part, our animosity focuses on individuals within these organizations or those closest to us that we love the most. To be sure, we often nurse bitter feelings towards a school, a company, a store, an agency, or a government. Tragedy may even erupt as a result of this anonymity towards an institution, as it did with Timothy McVeigh and his cruel bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City. However, open wounds, however, open wounds result primarily from the interpersonal battles, even within organizations. In addition to being personal, injuries require Generally, we suffer a crisis of forgiveness with our sense. In addition to being personal, injuries requiring forgiveness must be unfair. Generally, we suffer from a crisis of forgiveness when our sense of fairness is violated. Some people get very bitter and very hurt because they fear they've been un someone has un been unfairly unjust. If I expect to be treated justly, but I'm treated unjustly, I am likely to experience strong feelings of resentment and even explode. When we receive less than we expect or we think we deserve, we feel hurt. Hurts that are intentional are deeply painful and require forgiveness for healing to occur. Most hurts are unintentional hurts. Those unintentional hurts are just that, unintentional. Although accidental injury may also require the hard work of forgiveness, resolution is often easy. For instance, I was once urinated and defecated upon. However, I had absolutely no impulse to forgive. The offending party, my daughter. She was only six months old. On October 1st, 1950, the comic strip character Charlie Brown was introduced to the world in nine papers. The creator of the strip, Charles Schultz, later revealed that in his inspiration came from an event he witnessed in seventh grade. Two or more of the popular girls in his class eagerly approached the class ugly duckling and exclaimed, we're gonna have a party this week and we're gonna invite all the girls in the class except you. The uninvited girl was devastated. Remembering that moment, Schultz devoted the Peanuts comic strip in part to the theme of cruelty among children. Intentional harm, such as what Schultz witnessed, either festers or heals depending upon the victim's response to it. Two other kinds of hurt, which damage if not destroy relationships, are disloyalty, infidelity, and betrayal. Barriers appear, appear instantly when disloyalty betrayal or infidelity, whether of an emotion or physical nature are present in a relationship. Your bosom buddy is not there for you in your honor and your hour of need. Your lover, your friends report, is secretly seeing someone else. Your spouse of many years leaves you for a meaningful relationship with someone else. Your close friend joins in the gossip with your enemies and reveals your secret shame. Betrayal stabs you like a dagger in the back. Forgiveness is essential to repair these relationships because those are intentional. Yet another such necessity forgiveness is brutality. For instance, 
being made fun of humiliates us, wounds us, and therefore throws us into an inter interpersonal state of emergency. You are mocked for being fat or skinny or short or tall or uncoordinated or just dumb. You feel exposed and shamed when you only want to be left alone. Taunts brutalize. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knew brutality firsthand. During the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, he joined his voice to countless innocent voices crying out in outrage from their graves. Recalling the pain of being kicked, cursed, and beaten by vicious mobs, Dr. King boldly decried the evil of racism. Relating the anguish of his watching his children un develop an unconscious bitterness towards white people, he lamented that hate-filled syllables spat on him, his family, and friends. In his book, Why Can't We Wait?, Dr. King grieved. When you have seen various mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters. When you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television, and see tears well up in her eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children, and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky. When you come to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who's asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you're humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, when your first name becomes nigger, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your wife and mother are never given respected titles of Mrs. When you are forever fighting at de degenerated sense of nobodiness, then you will understand. The first stage on the road to forgiveness is hurt. Have you been hurt? Alienation. The second stage of the journey to forgiveness is alienation. God created us to live in a relationship harmonious with him and each other. Sin breaches relationships, causing a distressful dis rift between us. Although the problem may be described in different ways, sometimes as painful as a gulf, other times as isolated by barriers, the issue is always separation, alienation which is cruel and hurtful as well. When we are hurt, oneness is lost. The dis-ease of disunity devours the ease of unity. Unity, you must seek it, especially with those closest to you that you love. In his book, The Art of Loving, the noted psychoanalyst Eric Fromm contends that the problem of human existence is alienation, separation, and estrangement. He argues that life is one fertile attempt after another to escape from the dungeon of aloneness. At what point do we turn back and forgive to get one, oneness again? Love is the answer to the problem of alienation in human existence. Love unites. When love is absent, isolation is present. Seek those that love us and want to unite us. 
We are not created to live in a bitter isolation from each other. Distance only diminishes us and diminishes love and God's intent. When we were wrong another person or we're wronged by another, distance results. Peace becomes the first casualty of wrongdoing. Peace implies unity and wholeness. We will never find peace until we find unity with our loved ones. How can we possibly live in peace when we're hurting each other? We can hurt each other because we ease surrender to deep dis-ease. We feel sick and alone. Heaven on earth vanishes. Hell on earth engulfs us. Why the rage? Why the bitterness? Flames of resentment and rage threaten to consume us. Everyone feels it, especially in marriages. Do not let the flames of resentment, rage, and threaten to consume you and leave you from your oneness. In his play, No Exit, Jean-Paul Satry writes, Hell is other people. He did not write heaven as other people, but he might as well have. Indeed, both claims to be true. Do not find that stuff of heaven and hell on earth flows from the heart of our relationships. Intimacy blesses us with heaven. Isolation curses us with the opposite. When Miss Lambert discovered that her new next door neighbor, Sean McGraw, was a minister, she could hardly contain herself. 